What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Elevate Experience. The podcast about overcoming struggles and adversity and how that relates to addiction, recovery, and health. I am your host and the CEO of Elevate Addiction Services, Angie Manson. And I'm Dallas Terrell, co-host and life intervention counselor at Elevate. Thank you so much for joining us, and let's jump right Welcome in. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We're so glad to be here. We are joined with a special guest, Renee. I'm going to keep the last name out just because people might uh, figure out where it comes from <laughs> for uh, HIPAA reasons. Yeah. Anyways, Renee, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you. Like we were talking a little bit before the show, we have not had a parent of a loved one that was at Elevate kind of tell their experience or talk about their experience. And it's a very unique experience that I'm sure everyone can relate to. So thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be with us. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate being asked uh, or just having the opportunity to talk to maybe other parents who are going through the same thing. Yeah, of course. It's uh, This is going to be groundbreaking, I think. Yeah. And, and informative. <laughs> yeah. So, Renee, well, uh, why don't we start back from the beginning? Like, uh, maybe play for us backwards, like where it all started with Chris or when and how you started to realize maybe there was something else going on. Um, well, I think, you know, when you have a child with addiction, there's probably a lot of denial for a little bit. Um, but, you know, Chris growing up, he was always like so such a sweet, I, you know, we had so much fun together. He was a sweet, kind um, child didn't seem to be a big troublemaker, um, had friends, um, went through elementary school pretty good. And I think, uh, when you get to the middle school years, I don't know if the hormones start to change or if just you're sometimes you're in groups with different friends. So then the friends change and you're as a parent, don't know them maybe as well as you do when they're younger. Um, so I think that's when I first started seeing some just some changes in his personality and kind of attributed it to like, Oh, this is what they're going through when they're, you know, 13 years old, they just get kind of that, that um, kind of attitude. And, the rebelliousness. Uh, right. Yeah. The, I know everything's uh, yeah. And, um, mom's not cool anymore. Yeah. Right. Snappy mean. And withdrawn. He, I know. And he's, he, Christopher actually has like uh, a little nephew. He's got an older sister who had a son that's not a lot um, younger than him, but he adored Chris. And then when Chris got to that age, he goes, oh, you know, he's, and he's very smart, this this young man. Uh, said, yeah, oh, he's just being a moody teen. So I think even like uh, people around us started seeing it. And I don't know if that's when things started, but uh, yeah, I think that's part of it. Then, okay. Good. And so then, um, and, and I get that as well, because you don't know if it's the hormones, especially if this is a first child, is this normal? Is this what happens? Is it peer pressure? I know for me, uh, that's when it all started was middle school as well. And I'm sure uh, it was very confusing for my mom. You know, is it just a girl and her hormones or peer <laughs> pressure from the other kids, the new middle school with all those other kids? So I think you hit it right on the head as far as it's not easy to identify what's happening. No. No, not at all. So when did you 
realized maybe there was something more going on than just hormones and peer pressure? So I think by the time he had gotten into high school, I think we talked about that uh, a little bit before uh, this podcast, but starting the high school years, you're really not in tune with their friends anymore. It's again, another school, a lot, you don't know anybody anymore. You really don't know parents so much. You don't, you know, unless they're in a club or um, you have a really tight small group that they hang around with. And I think that's probably maybe a little bit key. If kids are involved in a small group and that's all they do, then maybe you're protected a little bit, but you know, when they just go off to school and you're not socializing with other parents and plus you're working, you know, most of us are working parents. We're working a lot and, you know, we just see our child after school and you start noticing the changes and, you know, when I first found out that he was smoking marijuana, it became like, oh, this is terrible. You know, you start counseling them, you know, so you think you're doing the right things. You think you're a perfect parent, but uh, that's not true. Nobody's a perfect parent and nobody's a perfect person. And um, maybe there's other things that I didn't see before the addiction anxiety. Maybe he had some anxiety and he wasn't able to deal with it. And then, so that was an easy oh, you're exposed to drugs. It's easy to just say, this seems like a good thing to do. I'm, I'm a little anxious. Things aren't going how I think they're supposed to go. So I can just kind of numb. Um, I'm thinking maybe that's kind of where he started going down that path. Gotcha. And did, um, was Chris, and this is just kind of a personal question. Was Chris like a big communicator? Like, did you notice maybe during those times of like high school or the beginning of that period when things were starting to like shift and change that was, was the, the communication low, was he like avoidant or did it all just kind of seem normal? Um, he was more avoidant. Um, yeah. you know, even before the addiction, he, uh, when he was getting a little bit older, he seemed to have anxiety, you know, he had a hard time eating. He was nervous, those kind of things. And I don't know that he, he there was an addiction at that time. Um, but there definitely, once he became, you know, addicted or starting to use and he was more avoidant, he didn't like to go out with us, go out to dinner. He'd always have another excuse of going over to a friend's house, you know, and me as a parent, maybe failed a little bit, not getting to know other parents that he was going over, um, yeah. to the home. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense, but it's also different when they hit high school. That's not like, you know, you're not dropping them off for a play date. You just, it's not the same sort of um, experience right. uh, that it is when they're younger. Yeah. And you're thinking so what you did. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, you're just thinking when you were, when I was a teenager, we just did what we wanted to, right? We didn't have any. Yeah, yeah no. Exactly. Right. Just hung out with everybody. No one's parents yeah, nobody, were around. Nobody, yeah. It just didn't matter. And if parents were around, you didn't want to be at that place. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so then would you say that, you know, maybe by the end of high school, things were different than the beginning as far as like behavior and, you know, obviously Chris was probably a different person senior year than freshman year. I would hope so. Right. Um, but yeah, well, what, what did the end of high school look like if that's kind of where the story moves itself into? Well, the end of high school, actually, he had, um, he had gone through a lot of counseling and during that time, um, because I, we knew there was a drug problem. I didn't think it was heavy drugs though. I thought it was more marijuana and, um, you know, who knows what else it could have been. I, I was very shocked to find out 
when you do find out how much somebody's taking or what they're taking, yeah, you know, you're, you're just shocked. Um, so yeah, he was a lot different. Um, didn't like to do anything with the family anymore. And you're thinking, well, well, this is how it is, you know, signed up for, you know, a class or trying to go into, um, do an EMT or something like that and dropping out right away, then moved out of the home with a friend. And I think, uh, did he want to move out of the home to grow up or that he just wanted to have full reign of being able to do drugs, you know, in his own place. And probably um, both. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So how did you find the other drugs? Was this something you discovered on him or he got in trouble at school or the therapist told you like, how, how did you figure out there was harder drugs going on? Uh, because just the behavior, I mean, that, that wasn't marijuana, you know, it was yeah. just, he was, you know, they, his, I, from what I remember, you know, a lot of you try to numb, but a lot of it was, um, like Xanax. I think that's a big thing. Xanax mm. or Valium or whatever those yeah, kind of benzos are, um, horrible personality with those. So that was not easy. That wasn't hideable. That wasn't just like, I'm going to be relaxed. He did not have a good personality with those things. So I think that was what really um, clued me in. And, you know, he got into a car accident. Um, think, thankfully, nobody was hurt. But, you know, you can't hide that you've, like, damaged the front end of your car. That's true. Yeah. Okay. So then we're starting to kind of, you're kind of starting to see that Chris is using more and more drugs. And you said the counseling thing. Was that like a intervention type of deal or just what, what did that look like for him as far as, you know, trying to maybe combat what you were seeing? Well, I think at the very beginning, it was when I first found out he was just smoking marijuana early and, you know, oh, okay. earlier. And then, so he did the outpatient counseling. It was just for like depression and to yeah, try yeah. to do better in school. His grades were slipping, those kind of things. Um, I, you know, I don't know what the, the counselor never told me, oh, I think that he has a flat out big drug addiction. So I don't think he was on things back when he started that initial counseling. But gotcha. then um, after he started doing um, the Xanax and that, then was the first encounter in you're going into a rehab facility. Yeah. So, yeah. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. So you figured out it was the Xanax, I'm sure, just by... You know, if you've ever seen somebody on Xanax, it's pretty obvious that something's wrong. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, I can be driving down the street and be like, that guy's on Xanax you yeah. know, or crystal meth. They're two very obvious drugs to point out. Um, so we kind of, like you were saying, send Chris to maybe a treatment center or an outpatient. What did that look like? Where did, where did, uh, where so, did he go, I guess? Yeah, so he went to um, a facility in, um, it was in Chandler. Um, okay. And it... Gosh, why am I drawing, blanking on the name of it? Chandler Hope. And, oh, am I not supposed to put other names out there? You'll edit it. Okay, okay. That's fine. So, so he went to that rehab. And whenever somebody makes a decision that they are, they need help. Like Chris has always been good at, like when he finally confronts it, because we're close. We're pretty close, you know, mm -hmm. when he's not impaired. Um there's always a feeling of hope. The first time he went to treatment center, it, it was pretty, pretty amazing. You know, I, 
thought that things were going to turn around. Um, and they did. I mean, he got out, he did the intensive outpatient, but then I think, you know, I don't know if failure on his part, failure on my part to just, you have to stick with the program. You have to, you, it's, and you have to just continue on with it. You can't just think Correct. you're cured and then just don't do anything. It's like saying, Oh, I fixed my diabetes. So I'm just going to start eating a little bit of cake. And then the next thing you know, you're a full blown, you know, two boxes of donuts eater, you know? So I think <laughs> that's kind of what would happen with that. Um, and then, you know, I, I was working an awful lot, um, because I had started the VA. So I was working, you know, 60 hour plus weeks because I was extremely busy. So maybe I didn't see some of the signs of very first early signs and then back down that road again. Were you living together again at that point? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, then we were living together, but it was easy to like not see each other because he's, yeah. you know, maybe working evenings. I'm working all day. I come home, I'm going to sleep. And yeah, yeah. it's easy hours is a really long work week. Yeah, yeah. It so, doesn't leave much room for much else. No. Yeah, I've only done about a couple of those in my life. Yeah. Well, it's sober, sober. Yeah, <laughs> sober. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think an important thing you kind of mentioned on Renee was like it's kind of this first experience, like Chris going to treatment, you feeling the way you felt of him going into treatment, kind of like this hope, you know, and then they come back and, and it's almost like, let's see how this goes. Or it's like this very like hopeful feeling, but there's no, uh, you could never expect how it's going to shake out or fall out. You just don't know. And so I think it's always kind of this interesting thing of there's so much like learning and growth that takes place in a Chris's first treatment center, but then also kind of your experience as like the parent or a loved one of someone trying to get sober. Yeah. Like him and the family learn so much and sometimes it's negative, right? If someone relapses and falls backwards, but there's so much to learn in what to do the next time. Right. So was, what came up for you guys as far as that goes? Like oh. the next time, what are we going to do differently or where is he going to go or what he needs to work on? So I think the next time, so, you know, there was another time then because Elevate was, I think the third Gotcha. Or yeah, I mean he's been. And that's totally normal, by the way. Yeah. For the audience and Renee, that's totally normal. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and every time you go, you're hopeful, and every time you go, you're right. You learn absolutely something. Like I don't know today what I knew, you know, a year ago, and I won't know a year from now. That I don't know that I don't know what I know until a year from now. So I think that's just life. You know, I think yeah. that's Definitely. just that's just life. You know, we have to realize that but i think with treatment it's it's a matter of life or death for people you know i spent you know when you're going into the second treatment and maybe it's not working you have hope and then it seems like it, it can get worse like almost uh, i don't know if you know if you're addicted and you fail and then you fail again whatever made you go do drugs the first time now that's like that plus you know, so I don't know what that feeling is. 
I have a lot of empathy for addicts though, a lot of empathy because I can't even imagine what that feels like, you know, just people that just go on a diet and they gain some of their weight back, they feel horrible, you know? So just what you put on yourself. Yeah. That's something I would often tell clients is now that you know better, the recourse is a thousand percent harder. So once you learn what you've been doing is, is not good and you go back out and do it, you really kind of cave yourself in a whole lot harder and a whole lot faster than when you originally went. Yeah. It's very common. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't believe in beating up people about, I I'm very disappointed. I get very, um, I, I felt like I was internalizing, you know, I would get a little angry. I got actually a lot angry and then I'd internalize it. I become almost like depressed, you know, yeah. you're like in despair. You're like, Oh my gosh, I'd give anything for this child not to have this. So, um, you know, when, whenever there's somebody that wants to stop again, it's like, great. You know, there's like, you have to go from your next step. You can't say, look back and say, okay, this is the mess back here. You kind of have to move forward. I guess you can't forget it. You know, you hear that all the time. You can't forget, but I think you do always have to move forward. I just think you can't get stuck in the past like that and just beat yourself up, beat somebody else up. You just have to move forward. And, um, yeah. Well, and I think it's a, a parent's obli not obligation, but as a parent, like I would help my kid as many times as he needed or wanted help right. if I could help him. Right. Um, yeah, I might not love it, but at least they want help and you got to do what you can do to assist. Yes. Agreed. Yeah, and I would imagine, I mean, I think I have a lot of like my own experience of being addicted and being on drugs and going to multiple treatments and watching it, you know, take a toll on my own family and, you know, now being sober and on the other side of it and speaking with clients about kind of what they're doing to their family. It's, it's a unique experience I kind of have of being on both sides almost. And I think the thing that I would imagine is probably the most difficult is kind of like what you pointed out of like this helpless feeling of being willing to do anything to take something away. But none of that is the solution for the problem. And it's like, no matter how much you want this for somebody and no matter how much they want it too, it, it, it almost doesn't matter. Like it does, but it doesn't, you know, like right. there's only so much we can, we can help someone that either a doesn't want the help or is unwilling to to do the things to help themselves, you know? And, and to me, that's always like just a, a really interesting place to explore. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I do think having people who have gone through this and who are recovering um, themselves, who've been in recovery for a long time and, you know, they're doing well, I don't think you can get a better person to work in a facility, to be honest with you. I would have, I think as me, if I was struggling with an addiction, I would have a really hard time talking to somebody who never had an addiction mm -hmm. and think that they really knew what they said. Like I can talk to parents and say how I'm feeling, but I really don't. I can't say this is what you're feeling. I can say this is pretty similar. We all feel this way, but, uh, but then if you don't ever have any experience with addiction, you're so far off that you know well, and I really I 
Yeah, and I appreciate you saying that because back in the back in the day, um, it was <laughs> it was frowned upon to have a bunch of former addicts running rehab. Like, oh, you know, you're just all a bunch of old addicts. What do you guys know? But the reality is, is we know way more than people who just learned it in school and trying to tell others what to think or believe. And so, it's actually one of our biggest strengths is the fact that like what 85 percent of our staff have all been through addiction and overcome it and i think that uh really resonates with the clients and that's why they they like it with us because it's more of a peer-to-peer as opposed to an authority telling them what their problem is absolutely absolutely i I don't think that somebody coming in with like a doctorate in addiction services who's never been addicted is going to be as relevant to the person that's struggling they're on the ground level with addiction. I, I just, just common sense kind of says that to me, but right, right, I, right. I don't have a doctor in addiction. So, <laughs> I mean, I can, I can clearly see this moment where I was speaking with Chris, um, in like a, a counseling session and was like, Hey man, like we went to the same high school and we did the same drugs in the same city. Like how you feeling today? And it's like, uh, there's immediately like, this you understand me you get me and you understand me more than most people now and you're sober and you're willing to help me like i'm all ears yeah and it's almost unspoken it's just like hey this is me and he's like oh man that was me too and then it's just like you immediately kind of move forward and start talking about the solution and and what to do now it's it's very strange to like to relate in that type of way where it's like this unspoken bond of you, you understand everything I've been through in the last five years just by having done the exact same thing. Right. I, yeah, I, you know, I remember him saying that when he was new into the treatment, that was like, that meant a lot to him actually. Um, so yeah, I think there, you can't, you can't, uh, educate your way. I mean, you can educate your way self into that in the wrong way, but you educate yourself out of it too. So, um, I, yeah, I agree with, I agree with the plan that's going on there. So that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Renee, I want to back us up just a little bit. Let's talk about, so now he's gone to, uh, one rehab failed, came back, lived at home, uh, not doing well again. What happens after that? Well, he went to a rehab again and did pretty well. And I moved, I thought he was going to be doing well. Well, I don't, you know, I said to myself, he was going to be doing well. I think looking back, the truth be told, you know, that was probably not the best idea, but I, I had a job offer and I took it, you know, and, this is where as a parent you're struggling. Okay. Because you need to do things for yourself too. Right. Like I need to go for a walk. I know when my brain isn't right, I have to do the dish. I have to go and do something and uh, get out of my head or get in my head or whatever it is I need to do. So, you know, I didn't, I felt like, Oh, I have this great opportunity. I'm going to take this position. And I moved out here then this was three years ago. And then Chris just kind of started struggling again. I mean, it was super easy then, right? Nobody around. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's got like like a stepfather uh, who's out in Arizona, who's wonderful. It has been wonderful with Chris and getting him out here too. 
uh, when I was just like overwhelmed, I, you know, yeah. working all the time. And then he's out there and I'm thinking he's dying. I spent nights just praying that he wasn't going to die. I had no idea where he was. He'd shut his phone off. You know, it was horrific. So uh, I don't even know where I was going with that, but so that's when, um, that's when we decided he's coming out here. I just have to have him out here. Not because I felt like I had to control him. I just felt like that environment, Arizona, wasn't working. Like right, you right. gotta sometimes just pick somebody up and get them out of where they are. And, uh, and was this Renee when he was in Prescott? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So he was in Prescott. Oh, I'm sorry. He went to Prescott then when I was out here and um, stayed there, and he did okay. But I think the lack of I don't know what the aftercare or what he did afterwards mm -hmm. just kind of like went through the rehab. So you're off of everything. Maybe you're not having the physical withdrawals or whatever you're doing, but then you're on your own and you're living in, um, you know, probably not the best environment, you know, it's sober living, but is it, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, yeah. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And the Prescott, uh, I'm sure you're aware of, of, of you know, the situation going on down there, but Maybe maybe Angie doesn't, or maybe the audience doesn't, but in Prescott, Arizona, there's a bunch of treatment centers in a very small town, and it's almost like the 2014 Florida, like everyone was in rehab in Florida, and so the more people that go to treatment, yes, a lot of people stay and, and are sober, and they're sober livings, and it's like a recovery community, but there's also the opposite of there's a big drug culture there of the people that got sober and then relapsed and left and stayed in Prescott. Mm -hmm. So there's a big drug circle there, which is just as detrimental as, you know, it could be like for every two people you're in treatment with, half of them are using drugs 50 feet away from you. Right. And, and the other half are 50 feet the other way sober. And it's, it, and it's a tiny, tiny town. And I spoke to Chris about that in depth because I have people up there and I know a bunch of people up there and have heard that story thousands of times. And it's very sad. Yeah. So I think he went into the fire, like from the front frying pan to the fire after right. that one. And uh, mm -hmm. that's when I, I, I just, I really thought he was going to die. I really just thought I would lose him. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I, what a nightmare that is when you're a parent, you're thinking, and then, you know, you're so mad. You're like, well, maybe things, you know, I don't want to say I want him to die, but it's like, I have to accept this, that I might get this phone call. And then I'm thinking, no, I can't accept this. I just cannot accept this. You know, so I'm, you know, I believe in God, you know, I know that a lot of people don't, and that's everybody's how they get through things. They might do other things, but I yeah. prayed every single night. I mean, I begged for him to stay alive long enough to get him somewhere. And uh, then he got out here, you know, Gareth flew him out here on a plane. He was a mess, total mess. Um, kind of like you knew, too. Like uh, yeah. you knew he was going to be a mess when he came, oh, yeah. but you didn't know for sure? or Yeah, I knew he was going to be a mess because I remember how he was before, and I just thought, oh, up in Prescott with this going on, it, it's just going to be bad. And uh you know, he, him and it was just not a good situation. Uh, but coming out here, uh, after talking to Mike and getting in through the, they did great getting us into the, the program and working through the insurance stuff and 
we just drove down there and like, he was so in, so impaired or, or coming down or whatever he was. Um, we, you know, it's of course COVID hit. So you, know, you have to meet everybody outside and the, the person that came to the car, I, I can't remember her name, super nice. And we're Sarah, t- maybe, maybe, um, a little blonde. Fice Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Said something about, I mean, she was very kind, super kind. And, um, he was, he said something about a smart program. I'm like, and all of his impairment, he said something about a smart program. I didn't even realize it was a smart program. I kind of looked, I didn't think much about, you know, I didn't really have the big thing. I'm like, here's this one who's pretty much, he hasn't had his brain working probably for a couple months <laughs> at least. Right, right. Um, knows about a smart program. So I'm like, well, there's maybe there's a little more hope. Um, cause he's, because he had mentioned he, he's just thought he was done with 12 steps. Like it wasn't working for him. And I don't right. want to sell one over another. I'm just saying, looking back at it and looking how I felt even going through meetings, I've gone through like L&I type meetings and stuff like that, which I really wasn't a big fan of. I think the big thing to take away from this was like, you don't just start off your day like, I'm an addict, I have no power. And to me, that's just like, I can't wake up saying that every day. You know, right. uh, I'm just going to say, no, I can change. Yep. You know, that's the only thing I can say about the difference between the two programs. So hopefully, you know, I don't want to say hopefully he's working it. You know, we have to be accountable to each other. If I don't hear from him and I think something doesn't sound right, you know, I'll have to say, Chris, what's going on? Tell me about it. Or are you talking to your advisor or, you know, talking to somebody? So. Yeah, so Chris has been with us for, gosh, it's been almost a couple of years now, right? Um, he's been there since last, gosh, what did he come? It's been well, over a year. Well, if it came year. during COVID, it's two years. That's what, well. And some change. Oh, well, that's how long it's been going on. Yeah, 2000, yeah 2020. It was January, or it was July, or it was around July. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, while he was going through the program, like what was a big thing that you saw that was different than when he had gone through the other programs? Like what was one of the things where you're like, well, that's different. We haven't done that before. Well, he, you know, all of the programs that make you say something about, you know, your um, making amends and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a big part of it. But, you know, he did do that. He was finally admitted to some of the stuff that he never did, like stealing money, you know those kind of things. And, uh, but I think him having to work pretty hard, there's a program there and I don't know with the book, I actually did the, or looked at that, the smart family and friends, smart family and friends book, whatever. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he was talking about just the, the readings and learning, like how to become mindful. That was like a big thing for him was becoming mindful you know, he even sells it to me now, you know, uh, he's like, you have to watch this podcast on, uh, that's how I started watching the one elevate. Cause there's somebody in Tahoe that does mindfulness. So, mm-hmm. uh, 
Yeah, he. That's so awesome. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think Aaron Kelly or no, 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 Carla. It's Carla. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's who it was. So, yeah, he's. You know, do I think that you know there's always a possibility anybody can relapse, right? You know. Of course. Yeah. We'll say that. Uh, but the further you're out in the fact that you work on it, it's like, you can be a great whatever, but you just have to keep working at it. You know, you can't continue to be a great baseball player if you never play baseball again, you know, so you just have to keep working at it. One thing uh, we talked about prior to the show, but um, was a differentiator and he liked as well was the exercise aspect of Elevate. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. He did. He did like that. And he likes taking clients out on walks and on hikes. I think that's a big, big part too, to be able to get out there and hike, you know, when he was going through all this, starting to go down that path, the, um, the really bad path he would no longer go out and take walks or do anything like that. So now when we go up there or when we were down in Wattsville, we would take walks. We'll, we'll do outside things and it's fun. He loves seeing Garth who was my significant other for of like 15 years um, where, you know, they, they butted heads a lot when Chris is going through the throes of addiction. He remembers, you know, cause he knew Chris when he was like this sweet, young child kid yeah, and, um, yeah. and then all of a sudden he turns around like this what he became and now chris becomes very excited to see him he's like oh it's so nice to see him because now they they have fun again you know he's not trying to hide something and feel like garth and you know garth is a, a cop so he's you know there's <laughs> <laughs> the irony that <laughs> the irony is that he's always probably seen things way more than me and i think he's uh probably tried to get me to see it sooner than I was willing to see it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And what a, you know, what a statement, like I, I couldn't imagine, you know, being in that situation of, of Garth's situation yeah. of like, he sees this stuff every day, you know, like he's trained to look for mm -hmm. these signs and behaviors and signals in like two seconds. Like he shows up to a car and he's like, yeah, looking for all the things Chris is doing. Yeah. And yeah. so I couldn't imagine the, that being in that situation of having to tell you and you maybe not wanting to see it or hear it or, or just whatever that situation was, but what a, what a situation nonetheless. Yeah. So it, it, yeah, that was, um, that was rough. So now the fact that the three of us have, you know, we were up in Tahoe last weekend or the weekend before oh, awesome. Thanksgiving. And I mean, we had a wonderful time. It's like, Oh my gosh, I can't remember the last time we all just, you know, had i mean it's happened since he's been sober but you know when i think about three years ago wow what a change yeah night and day or even so i think a i think a great question too renee is in if if you can answer don't feel like you have to but it's it might be a difficult question to answer but maybe in these last two years or these last three years like what has been helpful for you as far as dealing with what's been going on with Chris, like how did you take care of yourself or withdraw from the situation? Like what was helpful for you in, in taking care of Renee? Um, well, I think the big thing is when you say something, I would do anything if I could take this away from them. And then you're thinking you're so depressed. You're thinking I'm no good to anybody. You know, God isn't going to take me, so Chris isn't an addict anymore. That's just like ridiculous thinking, you know, it's like, right. that's not, I mean, that's not even 
like real, you know, I, right. like, that would be like, I think I'm Jesus Christ and he can take me and make everything better. It's like that. It doesn't, that's not, that's not going to happen. So then I guess I started thinking I need to take care of myself, right? I have mm-hmm. other children that I, I need for them to see a strong parent. Um, you know, and we won't even go into like siblings and stuff like that, what they're going through and, or that mountain. But as far as a parent, I think even when you don't feel like it, you have to like get up and go for a walk and, you know, limit your, um, expose, you know, I had a hard time watching movies. You know, I was watching a movie with the, you know, addicts and stuff. And then it's like, I need to let go of some of this, learn about it, but then move on, have a social, go out, meet a friend for lunch. Um, you know, because you're alone. You don't want to be around friends that used to be around coworkers. They're talking about their children who are off in school and they're doing so great. And I mean, you feel very isolated. You feel like you have nothing in common with people. And then, you know, the more you're into this, you realize there's a lot more going out there. People aren't perfect. None of us are perfect. Nobody's kids are perfect. You know, just get over it and you know, now that I think you go down that road a little bit further, like, wow, I think Chris is smarter than a lot of people I know who've gone to school and got all their <laughs> degrees, you know, it's like they, he's got like life skills. You can't, you can't teach that in school. You have to learn. Okay. If you never make a mistake and you never have to learn from it because, you know, your parents are picking you up all the time. Um, then maybe you're not as smart as people that are in rehab, you know, and successfully. So I think, and, and that is a yeah, and that is a big thing. Uh, I mean, you know, you look at anybody who could spend thirty to sixty to eighty days just working on themselves and their traumas and their wrongdoings and you know every aspect that we go over like anybody would benefit for that amount of time to just invest in themselves and gain that sort of knowledge and experience and understanding of just themselves and growing from that right so you know parents take care of themselves you know however they want to do it uh you know i would advise not to drink you know obviously that would be <laughs> right right <laughs> like um you know i think you know i love to drink wine. You know, I don't drink, you know, I would never drink around Chris. Um, I don't find that really appealing. You know, I don't have fun doing that anymore. When you're around people that you've seen in rehabs, um, I told Garth once, like I had more fun when I would go to the rehabs, just hanging out with all the people being sober than I ever had at a party, you know, especially at my age, you know, I don't, I really don't find that entertaining anymore. So yeah, I have more fun going with somebody taking a walk or going to lunch than, you know, planning a big party. You know, I just don't socialize with people like that anymore. And I think, um, that's what people learn in rehab. It's like you, eventually you learn that you're not really having fun. You're just numbing yourself. You're not really, it's not a social thing you want to be at anymore. Yeah, that's, that's very true. I can remember, you know, on Sundays, you know, pre COVID obviously when we could have, all the families come up to the center and it would just, there'd be 150 people at our facility, just all hanging out. And it literally was like a sober party every Sunday and oh. they'd go to church and play basketball and play volleyball and swim and just whatever they wanted. And it was always just so fun to see people like genuinely connect and communicate 
and there's no substances involved and everyone's having just as good of a time as kind of like you said, you know, at a party or, or something else. And there's something there, you know, yeah. and I'm, I'm glad you said that. It's true. Yeah, I mean, our yeah. parents, uh, a lot of the parents would even get close with the rest of the clients. And so yeah. they would yeah. come to graduations right. and, and the, the clients would be acknowledging the parents like, thanks for coming up every Sunday. My family isn't here. It was so good to see you. Yeah, um, yeah it's a it's a great community. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I do family. agree with that. And, you know, like it's the truth is told, right? Everything is the truth is out there. So there's no hiding. There's no like trying to pretend something. It's like. I'm sober. I wasn't here. I am, you know, you can, you know, it's just, it's a good environment, a really good environment. Well, and it's a very genuine environment. We hear that over and over as well, where, you know, this is the first time the addict feels safe and secure and that people like them for who they are, not for what they could potentially give them or be used for, or, you know, that sort of thing. So it's like real friendships, real relationships are being built, which is something that's really foreign to the majority of people who are out there using. Right. That's a huge thing for Chris, just wanting to portray some image. I think that, you know, when you get to a certain, when you, you get old enough and you're just so either anxiety or whatever it is, you're just trying to, this is either numbing yourself or you're trying to portray something else, you know, who knows why people, use I it's not it's not my decision like oh you're using because of this it's you everybody figures that out on their own um you know aside from maybe growing up in a horribly abusive situation where you're being beat or something but so Renee I had a question for you as well and I'm more just curious based on kind of my own experience but so with Chris going through what he went through and then now coming out on the other side and being sober and working in treatment, like what kind of role has that played in your guys' like family system where now the sobriety is like a big part of, you know, kind of the whole family story? Because, you know, I'm sure at one point you and your husband and Chris's sister are all three worried about his sobriety and only want him to be sober. And now he is and it's like this cool thing where like sobriety is a part of kind of like your guys' family system now. Like what kind of role has that played for you guys? Um, it's, it's a great, uh, it's been a lot more communication and not hiding, you know, when you yeah. are under, when you have somebody that's using, you don't even want to celebrate holidays. You don't want to be around each other. You kind of find excuses. I moved out here and I'm just like, I think I want to stay out here. You know, <laughs> I wanted to stay alone in my studio rather than yeah. go back and be with family. I mean, I did, but I, I disliked it. You know, I just disliked it so much and, and they disliked it, you know, you know, it, nobody was having fun. And now uh, I think you can see others are, you know, especially his brothers can see now that he's not, you know, crashing a car or whatever, trying to hide things. I don't know. It, it is, a, it's a lot more joy, a lot easier going. And uh, I think I'm just thankful that I've learned more. Every time this happens, I think I, I learn more about myself too, as a, you know, as a parent, yeah, I think it comes up 
uh, a lot for addicts or people in recovery because we get to a point where we're like, I'm only hurting myself. Why does anybody care? Just leave me alone. I'm only hurting myself. And it's not until they start doing the work and really, uh, like you said, you know, re when they were, he was doing the rebuilding, the trust process where he's finally telling you that some of his wrongdoings, um, where they start to have that understanding that being an addict or an alcoholic isn't just a self-serving disease. Like it hurts everybody around them. And the other side of that, which is awesome and really cool, is that when they get better and when they overcome it, they positively affect all that sphere around them yeah. as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we're so much happier. Uh, as far as that for him too, I mean, I'm happy for him. And I think a big thing to like to say with other parents is I was thinking about this when I was thinking about this podcast, you know, we have this idea of your, your kids, right? Oh, I'm going to have this kid and they're going to go down this path because it, they make good choices and they're smart. And I mean, they are every, everybody who's born is a beautiful little baby. Right. And then whatever circumstances happen to them, they turn into this person and some people, become addicts. Some people don't, some people, you know, overeat, whatever changes them throughout their life. But you have this idea that this is how you want this child to be like, almost like they're, they belong to you and they have to do this. Right. Like I, I remember reading something about, Oh, your child is your resume. I'm like, no, no, no. That's so messed <laughs> up. That is so messed up. Right. I, you know, you are your resume, not your child, you, you yeah. alone. Um, but uh, then when they recover and they become themselves, you know, the person they were meant to be, then you're, they're on their path and you're happy for them. And you're not trying to control their path, whatever their path is, as long as, you know, of course, you want it to be a sober path, but you're not trying to squeeze it into, so you, yeah, you were supposed to go to med school or you're supposed to, you know, do whatever, be a cook. You're just not thinking that anymore. You're just kind of letting them thrive on their own like they're supposed to not trying to put them out there in a perfect little picture that you thought that is i like that analogy your child is not your resume that's <laughs> that's super powerful and i think that was kind of my curios curiosity around like the question because i know with my own family it's you know i mean two years into me being sober i became the counselor to everyone in my family <laughs> For everything minus their, they didn't, you know, not, they didn't all have drug problems, but I remember one year going to a family vacation and just bringing them all together and being like, okay, if you're mad at each other, we're going to talk about it. Like just bringing everyone together and like dealing with, you know, the normal family BS that goes on. And right. Families are messed cool up. to see that because <laughs> it happens. Yeah. So it's cool to see like, communication truth honesty it's cool to see all that come back not saying that it wasn't there but i just i, I don't know i feel like it brings a different layer um you know like andrew saying it expands more than just to chris it expands to you guys and and then outward you yeah. know but it all started from this very negative thing right it was super cool to see the other side of it which is just as real Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Renee, I think I love how you hit on this because we we see this so often is parents will put an undue amount of pressure on their kid to do a certain thing that they think is the best thing for the kid 
finish college, do this right. path, follow in my path. You're going to be this. You're brilliant. And there's a lot of pressure that parents um, wanting the best for their kids and knowing these are like good things. But we also see from our side on the counseling side that this can a lot of times um, create or add to the addiction. But then once you guys go through this as a family, I love how you said it shifts. You no longer care about that career path that you wanted for them. It's more about, I just want you safe and sober. And I don't care what you do, if it makes you happy. It It, really does put everything into perspective. Yeah, and we all have it. I mean, it's it's our lives to make what we want out of it. It was my life to let, you know, I could have gone down a path and just, you know, I don't know what I would have done, you know, but... We all have our choice, right? We're all, we all have free will. So we can't force somebody to be something that we think they should be. And it always backfires. And um, yeah, always. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, yeah, whatever anybody wants to do, as long as they're doing it sober and they're enjoying their life, I mean, that's great. <laughs> I am so over the, there's no more comparing kids and stuff like that. There's none of that going on none of that awesome that's so cool renee yeah i think you know i i kind of wanted to tie all that stuff together you know because the very beginning of this podcast was you know maybe a little bit more somber and you know we're talking about some negative things but like we've kind of spoke about like the positives are are just as noteworthy you know and i think kind of like a big theme of this conversation is like hope you know and that it's really hard when you're stuck in the middle of the pain for you but also chris right like chris was in just as much pain you know just dealing with it in a different way and then you and your husband are dealing with it in your way and it's it's very hard to see out of it when you're inside of it so hopefully this can kind of convey the message that a, it's possible to change, and B, there's a bunch of people out there that are willing to help, and that on the other side, it's going to be so worth it. Yeah, and that nobody's alone. There's a bunch yeah. of us secretly struggling, and you, you know, just know that you're not alone. I, I think it's such a lonely feeling when you're dealing with an addicted child. Um, you are just you feel very alone. Yeah, we always kind of say the shame lives in silence, you know, and so we just kind of, you know, it's it's not like you were saying it wasn't something you were jumping at joy to like tell all your friends about, you know. Oh yeah, hey, you guys hear about Chris? Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were like putting it on Facebook, you know. So yeah. it's like, but in the same breath, the shame like that lives in silence from not talking about it and just holding on to it and. Yeah. We all do it in certain ways, you know, with whatever it may be. So I love that you said that. It's a great takeaway. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's an amazing perspective because, like, we always talk about addiction being such an isolating, uh, you know, disease where most people who are addicted, when they're deep in it, they don't want to be around anybody. They don't want to be called on their stuff. They remove themselves from all their family. They detach from anything positive. But looking at it from this side, from from a parent perspective or a loved one perspective, you go through that too, because you don't want to be asked those questions. You don't want to have to volunteer information. You don't want to be put in uncomfortable situations that you don't have answers for. So it's very isolating for you as well. Right. So I guess we understand each other, right? So I guess if you yeah. looked at it, you could look at it like just how you're feeling. Just think, well, your, your child probably feels that way and even worse. 
mm-hmm. right? Because at least you're not struggling or feeling like crap when you wake up or if you don't have what you need. Um, yeah. And But they're feeling as depressed and de- despaired like you are. Plus they're, they have an addiction on top of it. So that's like a situation that, you know, you got to help somebody get out of that. You know, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, of course. That's yeah. That's so true. I think the most helpful thing for me has been just realizing that everyone does does things for a reason, you know, and there's like a reason that people do things even that we we don't agree with, you know, or don't enjoy or don't like. And when I can be in kind of that energy or that atmosphere, there's a lot more empathy and compassion. I could see maybe why someone would do the things that they're doing. Not that we have to agree, right? But it's yeah. it, it creates a lot more ease, you know. And I can kind of be more helpful and help find solutions when I can empathize with how someone else is feeling or what they're doing. Right. Yeah. And I think even like for you, like being outside of it and then being working in the, you know, in that type of environment, it, you know, <laughs> I don't know, maybe. And I'm not putting this out. I'm like, would you just get frustrated? Like, oh my gosh, why can't they just get over it? You know? I did. No, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. All the time. Yeah. That comes we, up all the time. That's being human, right? Frustration. We all have some, we all get angry. It's just how we respond with it. Yeah. It's, it's like, uh, you know, you wanting Chris to get sober in like a less romantic way. I don't know these people as well as you know, Chris but I want them to get sober and feel the joy and be happy and enjoy themselves just as much, um, you know, as you would to Chris. And the difference is I've only known them for like three months, not 25 years. Yeah. But it feels that way where it's like, why can't you just want to shake their head sometimes until yeah. they get it. And that never works. No. And then you're like, well, yeah, I had to do this and a few times not. myself. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, I got to remember that took me seven rehabs myself. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't just a, a miraculous conversation from some random dude, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing that's important that you touched on is is there's just no one size fits all. And I think a lot of people give up because they think the only treatment out there is the AA or NA modality. And it's like, I don't even want to attempt this again. I've tried it three times. I failed. Why would I keep going back? It obviously doesn't work. And so it's really important for people to know there are alternatives out there. There are other types of programs. There is something that fits like, don't give up just because there's been a failure, like right. do some work, do some due yeah. diligence. There is other options out there. Yeah. Don't give up. Just don't give up. I did have a question. Um, I was, you know, I was looking at the difference between lapse and relapse and I don't know that people, parents that are, if they haven't read, I guess. So the lapse and relapse, and it can count for people like me that are, because I saw it in the family and friends, you know, where you make this plan to like take care of yourself. And their example is you're going to go walk 30 minutes a day. And I, I am a, a lapser on this one. And you don't do it because something comes up. You know, I said to myself at work, I'm going to do my lunch walk 30 minutes every day. And I, I lapse frequently on that one. But a relapse, I guess, is if you just go down that path, you you give up walking. You just don't even take care of it anymore. You just give up exercise or walking or whatever. So is that something that's taught as far as addiction? Like if somebody, you know, has a, a lapse, like they have, they go out and they have a drink, 
or a couple drinks, or, you know, they go out with some people they met from high school, you know, old high school friends, not that they'd probably be any good for them, but um, <laughs> how does that, how does that, like, how do you think of that as far as coming back from that? Is that a lapse or is that like a relapse needs full blown treatment? I mean, how does that? Well, I, what I would, what I would weigh in on is, is, like kind of the term that we'll use over at Elevate is like reversion. Like when someone reverts back, like we'll, we'll use reversion uh, like synonymously with kind of how you're using relapse um, where we'll look at relapse generally as a lapse of any sort. Um, so I guess the, the, the answer to the question is very difficult because I think it's case by case. Some people could have one drink and, you know, they call us and they're super honest and they're like, dude, I messed up. I've been doing everything right. And there was just this one day I saw this guy and I had one drink and I'm so sorry. I need to like get back on the horse, you know, in certain ways. And some people, you never hear from them. They have a drink the next day, the next day, the next day. So it's truly hard to say what they that person would need because the situation is just so different, you know. So I think treatment is never the worst answer but some people are are very capable of just hopping right back on the wagon the next day like you said you yeah know, maybe the next lunch you hit your walk and you've been hitting them ever since and yeah. that's that's they're both very possible um and it's it's definitely a conversation i think it's a conversation starter more than a yes or no or a black or white type of answer yeah. Yeah, but I I do think we we hold sort of the opinion that all that work is not null and void and now you literally have to start back over because I think if you have a very strong foundation and you've been putting in the work and you have a minor setback or lapse, it's not uh you know the end of the world. You just lost everything you just worked so hard for. It's more like, okay, get back on the horse like Dallas said and and keep moving forward. Now, I would never give anybody the permission to say, hey, it's okay, you can have one little slip and it's not gonna affect you because that one little slip could be with fentanyl and they could die. Like I would never say that's the right thing to do, but I also don't think it negates all the hard work and time that's been done. Yeah, like rather than just beating somebody up, oh, you did this, well, bye, or just kind of thinking why, what made you do this or what did you stop doing that all of a sudden you were, like weak in a moment you decided a decision that you really probably didn't want to do. Sure. And we'll, we'll, yeah. And we'll have clients who, you know, they finish the program, they go out, they have a slip. We work with them through our continuing care counselor. Um, maybe that's not enough. And, and we bring them back into the program and undoubtedly there's always something that they missed or they weren't completely honest on or maybe even the first time they went through the program they weren't fully there for themselves they were there because a parent wanted them there or the courts wanted them there mm -hmm. so they weren't a hundred percent all in because they hadn't actually made that decision to want to quit at that point and so although we we see a lot of success and people turn the corner in the program there is cases where they do have to go out and try it again just to see Actually, that kind of sucked and it's not what I thought it would be. And like we talked about earlier in the program, the recourse, the the bad things hit them a whole lot right. harder and a whole lot faster. And they're like, okay, now I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. really do this for me. Yeah, and they get yeah, they get so one. much more out of it. And yeah. they get they get to really keep, you know, peeling back the layers of the onion and get more out of it. 
Yeah. Yeah, relapse is a super difficult uh, topic, I think, um, to weigh in on because it's just so different. You know, I have I've had people I've counseled and, you know, uh, sometimes going back to treatment wasn't the right answer for them, you know, and it was getting right back into the work and into the gym and at way more AA meetings and, you know, like where sometimes it isn't the answer and it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to put my finger on, you know? Well, there's just no one size fits all. Everybody's different. So, um, but that's why we try to stay in close contact with everybody so that we can help guide them on whatever that is without shame or guilt or that sort of thing. Sometimes there's a big ego involved with coming back into treatment after you failed. You don't yeah. want to go see all those people where you were like saying how good you were yeah. doing and yeah. you didn't do that good. So yeah. you got to set that stuff aside as well in order to accept the help again and get a get get what you missed the first time. Yeah, understood. That was a great question, Renee. Well, thanks. <laughs> like you said, there's no one answer. Yeah. There's just no one answer. No, I don't think I've responded the same ever to all of them. I, I think it's always a different answer, you know? Yeah. And you're like you said, some people really don't want, they're not ready for it yet. They really just don't mm. want to be in rehab. It's like those you know, like people that smoke and, you know, I counsel people on smoking all the time. Right. And, you know, I can... I'm obligated to tell them and offer them all the support, but you know, they'll be honest. And they're like, no, I don't want to quit smoking. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to ask you the next time you're here, you know, but I, I can't like drag them in and say, we're going to put you in the hospital for 30 days and quit smoking, you know? Yeah. So it's done, you know, it's kind of on well, that. And that's a, that's a beautiful correlate to like mm-hmm. addiction. Nicotine addiction is insane. It is super gnarly. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like everyone that smokes knows how terrible it is. Yet millions of people, people still do. do it and waste money and it smells bad. There's so many cons to it, but there's that one pro that they've just been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years and it's hard to like make sense of it because it doesn't make sense, you know, but to them, that one pro outweighs cancer, carcinogens, money, all the crap that we all see. Right. And it's just, yeah. Missing limbs, you know, lose a leg. Yeah. Yeah. Just so for our listeners, um, you speaking with these people, that's from your profession as a nurse practitioner, correct? Right. Yeah. Just, yeah, a lot of people. And as a matter of fact, they're, you know, in the population that I take care of for a lot of people with addiction, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people who have recovered from addiction, but a huge um, population of addiction. So, yeah, it's. And, and that is kind of traditional uh, rehab is everybody smokes mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you sit around in the meetings and everybody smoking cigarettes and you know, it's just part of the cheap coffee and the cigarettes and it's just part of the yeah. recovery. Um, and, and the philosophy is, you know, we'd rather you were smoking than doing heroin, which obviously that's that, that is true. However, that is a philosophy. However, it's still a very unhealthy for you kind of practice, which I think is why, you know, at Elevate, we really push exercise as as opposed to 
you know, filling that void with cigarettes and that sort of thing to push more of a healthy lifestyle and get those same kind of feelings without having a negative side effect on our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It's, it is a big difference from traditional rehab where you're drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes. Yeah. I mean, I still drink a lot of coffee, well, but well. Uh, <laughs> you can't give up. There's actually a lot of health benefits to coffee as we're <laughs> learning. It's are. not as negative as we once thought. <laughs> Well, Renee, this has been so awesome. I've thoroughly enjoyed this um, podcast, and I kind of just wanted to end. I mean, we don't have to end right here, but what I wanted to end with was just kind of what a great human being Chris is, you know, and the time that I enjoyed working with him. And he's just a very, like, calm, ironically now, a very <laughs> calm, you know, person. And and he's a good person. And, you know, you can tell he was raised right and had great parents. And, oh, you know, you. I just, yeah, he's a great kid. Thank you so much. And uh, I appreciate that. And I appreciate that he's there and he just loves working with clients now. And I think, you know, I, I'm not going to say that's what's got to be his life because that's what that's his life. I'm not going to say that, but I think it's a calling. I think it's definitely going to be a calling if that's where, what he wants to do. Well, that's been the beauty of Elevate is it puts people on a path they didn't even know they needed. And we, all, a lot of us find that purpose in helping others who are just like ourselves, which is awesome. And I'm so glad that we have him on our staff where he can help others. Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah. He's, yeah. He Would you have it. any, oh, awesome. Would you have any final words of advice for any parents that are listening to this podcast and uh, struggling or uncertain or just any kind of advice? Um, to call, to call, to talk to somebody from a rehab facility, any rehab facility, if you want, if you feel like the 12 steps isn't working, certainly try a, a smart program, um, look into it. I would not give up on your child as frustrating as it can be. Um, a really quick story. The first rehab I took Chris to, there was a woman there who her son was maybe 18. He was younger than Chris and it was like his third rehab. Mm -hmm. And I guess he was ODing in the car on the way to rehab. She was angry, very, very angry, understandably so, but still angry. And, um, in our whole group, that was all she could talk about was how angry she was. And, um, you know, she didn't have to deal with this with her other kids. And I would, if there's anything that you can make a mistake with, that would probably be the only thing you could do, which is to be so angry and not being able to take care of yourself with that because you, you're not of any help to anybody else. If you're that angry, um, but just get yourself help because you certainly do need it. You deserve it. And um, you'll get through it either. I mean, you'll get through it. We all get through things. I'm, I feel like I'm stronger for every horrible thing I've gone through in my life. I feel like I come back the other end. I come out the other end better for it. So it's not a wasted experience. The pain is horrible, but it's not wasted if you do the right thing with it. I love that, Renee. That was yeah. beautiful. Yeah, 100%, which is like what our whole podcast is about, is overcoming, uh, you know, whether it's addiction or just horrific life events that were out of your control, but being stronger on the other side because right. of it. Absolutely. 
Yeah, we're not made of glass. That's what I like to say. Yeah. Might feel like it. Yeah, yeah we <laughs> feel, like, feel it. like it. Might think we're made of like aluminum foil at some times, but <laughs> we're not fragile. <laughs> no, no, we can recover. Awesome. Well, Renee, we really appreciate you spending your day with us today. Uh, I know you're very busy, so we are we are elated. I was so thankful um, when I had put the message out to the staff saying, hey, we really need a parent on here. And Chris like responded right away. He said, my mom would love to do this. And I'm like, well, shouldn't you talk to your mom first? Like, <laughs> but I loved how he knew right away that this would be something that you'd be willing to do. And it totally makes sense. You know, you're a nurse, you're in the field to help. You're like us. And so uh, very like-minded in that respect. And I appreciate you helping other parents and anybody who's listening to this podcast. Oh, today. sure. I, it's been my pleasure to be here. I really hope this is a good way for me to spend a day, to be honest. So I like hanging out with people who have been recovered. Remember I said that at the very beginning. So yeah. uh, <laughs> a great group of people to to spend time with. Awesome. Thank you very much. Well, maybe in the future we'll do a... Uh... Uh, follow-up episode yeah okay yeah we'll get Chris on we'll have both you on that would be, <laughs> that'd be cool that'd be super cool yeah that would be really cool I'd have fun with that yeah, oh, yeah. it'll be like a little therapy type session but podcast yeah. <laughs> you may it volunteer for more hours of work no that's okay I'm just gonna work with the clients <laughs> <laughs> it'll be great oh man oh awesome. that's amazing well thank you so much for your time Renee okay. we're gonna we're going to wind her down. We're okay. going to wind it down. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll get you this podcast. We hope you listen and uh, and you can share with anybody that you want. Okay. Thank you so much for inviting me. Appreciate right, it. Thanks. Have a great holiday, too. Ah, you too. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, guys. That's our show for today. We hope you found some value from listening. And if you did, please share with someone you know or love. You can find us on social media. We are at Elevate Addiction Services. And if you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, please call our toll-free confidential 24-hour helpline at 833-33-SOBER or visit our website at elevaterehab.org.